Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. And I want to talk about the wealth of the believer, all right? Now, I'm going to just read Ephesians 1. New King James says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, or we're going to translate to Brooklyn, to the saints who are in Brooklyn and hungry for God and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us Past tense, who has blessed us. Say, I'm already blessed. This is one sign of your wealth. You are already blessed. Say, I am already blessed. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms or heavenly places where? In Christ. So if I want to access that blessing, where do I need to be? In Christ. So, understanding, well, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you have to recognize that you already are closely associated with Jesus. That as far as God is concerned, like I mentioned last, I think it was two weeks ago, I said that you can either be in Adam or you could be in Christ. Being in Adam, being in still associate and identify with your sinful nature. Being an Adam still means you, you associate with your human nature. How many of you know you're not only just human, but you are also divine? The Bible says that you were made in the image and likeness of God. So oftentimes we just look at each other and we judge each other based on the flesh. But Paul said, we no longer judge men by their flesh. You see, what happened was with the Pharisees and the Jews, they judged Jesus just based on the flesh, just based on the outward appearance, that they saw Jesus and they assumed that he couldn't really be God because of his humanity. Because they saw him. They saw when he was born. They saw him grow uh, grow up. They knew his hometown, the people that played with him as he was a child. They knew him to just be Jesus of Nazareth, and nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. They judged him from, from where he was born. They judged him based on his parents and the shame that his parents had. His parents didn't have a lot of money. He wasn't royalty, all this stuff. So no one assumed that he was really going to be the Messiah because they judged him based on his outward appearance. So it's very dangerous to assume things about people just based on what we see in the natural. And what the enemy does is try to get you to judge yourself and judge other people based on where they are right now. 
But God gives you eyes to see so that you can see beyond the natural and begin to see your divine distinction, your divine purpose, your divine calling. How many of you know that every single person on this planet was born for greatness? Every single human being was born with a purpose. Every single human being has something to add that's, that can, if they step into their potential, will change the world. God did not create anybody to be small, to be insignificant. God created every single one of us to carry his glory, to carry his image and likeness into this planet. So when you start stepping into who you are in Christ, you start breaking out of your shell. Come on, you're like a caterpillar that needs to transform into the butterfly, the glory of who you really are. Okay? Say, I'm being transformed. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that we, that we are partakers of his divine nature. Divine. Everybody say divine nature. That means supernatural. So you have a, there is a natural side of you and there's a supernatural side of you. There is a human side of you and there's a divine side of you. There's a side of you that has no power and there's a side of you that has Right? Ephesians 2, we'll get there. It says that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So watch this. How can, I, how can the Bible say you're dead in sin, but you're alive? That you're physically alive, but the Bible says that you were dead when you were in sin. Because that divine, supernatural side of you was dead. You can access the side of you that can speak to mountains and tell them to move. You can access that, the side of you that can have dominion. All right, that part of you that has the ability to, to heal the sick and to cast out devils, that side of you was dead. But when you begin to discover who you are in Christ, something comes alive in you. Come on, the Christ in you becomes alive. Bible says in Colossians 1 that there is a mystery that's been hidden for ages, that, that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. That the hope of your the, the hope or the ability for you to change your life, to become the person that you want to be, to become the man or woman that you want to be, the part of you that can be free from addictions, the part of you that's get that that's gonna be able to live in wealth and to live above the, the, the pressures of society, that part of you that's that is more than a conqueror, that part of you that allows you to be able to, to have no weapon formed against you that can prosper, that part of you is the is the sign of you that God has saw of you before you even came into this world. It's that side of us that we're now reconnecting to. So I'm telling you, you see, you were born in sin, but that's not your original identity. Your original, Christ came to redeem us to our original innocence. Blameless. Look at what the Bible says. So he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, God doesn't want those blessings to just remain spiritual. They're spiritual, but God wants you to be able to pull that spiritual blessing into the natural. How many of you, are, how many of you want your blessings to just be spiritual? <laughs> no, God wants your blessings to come into the material realm so that you can actually live the blessing. Walk in the blessing. Come on. That now you can be a blessing to others because you're blessed. How many, how many people want that? Come on. 
So the blessing that comes into your life, the Bible says that you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly realms in Christ. Watch this, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation or before the fall of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the Bible says that he chose us or he associated us to in him before the, the world was even framed. This just goes back to what I said. The you that you were before you were even born. That he said you were already in Christ before you were in Adam. Why? Because the Bible says the Lamb of God was slain for our sins before the foundation of the world. That's going to be a little heavy, right? We're going deep. You were in Christ before you were in Adam. <laughs> come on. That's why Christ had to come to redeem you. I'm, per I'm purchasing, I'm taking back what was already mine. No one else could redeem you but Jesus. Because the Bible says that God chose us to be in him before the world was framed. That's why everybody needs Christ. It's more than just, oh, you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. It's... Right? That's, that's baby stuff. It's not about hell. It's about in every individual rediscovering the wealth of who they already were before sin, before guilt, before shame, before your mother abandoned you, before they walked out on you, before this person did you wrong. Who were you before all of that? See, and then when you discover that, then you're able to overcome everything else in this futile life. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the fabrics of the world that we should be what? Holy. Everybody say holy. holy. We talked about holiness simply meaning being set apart for God. So we will be holy for him, set apart for him, and blameless or without fault before him in love. How many of you know that because you're now in Christ, you're blameless? That God doesn't blame you for anything. God doesn't blame you when you sin. So stop blaming yourself. Let's go, keep going. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons or children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestined us to adoption as sons. I want to show you something about adoption. But notice that in the beginning, when, when this, is, this, is, this is God's planned parenthood. That 
when Adam sinned and fell short of the glory, God didn't say, well, listen, we got to abort this plan. We got to get rid of Adam. We got to get rid of Eve. Let's destroy them. Let's kill them. Let's terminate them. God's plan was, no, he messed up, but I'm going to ensure that he's adopted when I send my son. So God's plan, parenthood, wasn't abortion. It was adoption. Having predestined us to adoption, which means that he knew he was going to lose us. But he already pre-planned and predestined and prearranged that those who are lost, those who become orphans, I'm going to save them by sending my son so that I can adopt them into my family. God planned with your mistakes in mind. God planned with your mistakes in mind. That's why none of your sins catches God by surprise. According to the good pleasure of his will, of his doing, to the praise of the glory of his what? His grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Say, I'm accepted. See, this is your wealth. You think wealth is just having money. You think wealth is just having cars or having luxury things. Your wealth is understanding your identity in heaven. Understanding your identity in Christ. And when you get this, things things begin to adjust for you. See, you don't got to chase after things. When you know who you are in Christ and you know that you have access to every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When you know who you are in Him, you get access to everything else. Seek Him first. And all these things will be added to you. Woo! Come on, you never have to worry about things when you know who you are in, in Christ. I'm telling you. But when you don't know who you are in Christ, you chase things. Because you're, you're trying to buy identity. You try to buy identity with a car, buy identity with a house, buy identity with, with, with stuff. Come on, say, I know who I am. <laughs> he made us accepted in the beloved. I'm telling you, you're going to level up. Watch this. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches or the wealth of his grace. I like to add wealth where I see riches. Right? We have, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the wealth of his grace. Or since we are in him, his blood was the ransom that secures our redemption. 
So him forgiving your sins is the measure of the wealth of his grace. That we see the magnitude of his, of his, of his, of his, uh, his wealth in him forgiving us of all of our sins. So now, if I think God only forgave me of a few of my sins, then I got a, I got a, 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 a small view of God's wealth. But if I know that God has forgiven me of all of my sins, past, present, and future, that no matter what I've done yesterday, no matter what I may have done today, and what I might do tomorrow, that he's already forgiven me of all of my sins. Not just mine, but yours, and the person sitting next to you, and the person behind you. When you realize that God is more good than you ever thought, when you realize that God is way more kind than you thought, way more forgiving than you knew, that means I got to repent. I got to change the way I think because God is better than I think. And that's why you can't exaggerate grace because no matter how good you think God is, God is more good than that. <laughs> Look at somebody next to you say, no matter how good you think God is, God is better than that. See, now, this is when I start bumping into religion because religious people want to have an excuse as to why they can have the upper hand spiritually on other people. Religious people like to look at people and find faults because then I can use my faults, I can use their faults as a way to say, well, I'm doing better than them. But we are all guilty the same because if we sin once, we're all guilty of all. So religious people like to Judge people be, who sin differently than them. Right? We look at somebody who, in homosexuality and we'll judge them when the person who's prideful or haughty or quick to anger is just as guilty. So no sin is greater than the other. We are all equally Guilty, but we are all equally forgiven. That's good news. Say, I'm clean. <laughs> We're going to sing that song again when I'm done. Watch this. Verse 8. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This grace shown towards us communicates a wisdom and a discernment of our worth that completely surpasses any other definition. Having made known to us, verse 9, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. I remember when I, could, when I was reading these verses and I didn't know what I was reading. I remember reading this years ago. I'm like, what is he talking about? I just knew it was good, but I didn't understand. So I just kept reading it over and over and over again. 
until the light bulb went off. You see, Hosea 6.3, the Bible says that we need to pursue the knowledge of the Lord. There is something about when you pursue God, when you pursue him, when you seek him, the Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You don't have to understand everything you're reading. Just read it. And I'm telling you, when you, when you just simply consume it, your spirit is picking up something that your mind is waiting to catch up to. But you're feeding your spirit, man. I'm telling you. So I'll go back and, I, and I'm reading this stuff. And I'm like, verse 9, wait a minute. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. So the will of God is not a mystery. He's made it known. What's the will of God? He just said it. That we're all in Christ and we're all forgiven of our sins. For his good pleasure. Say the secret is out. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Now I'm about to say something that's going to blow your minds. Let me say it like how I heard it. <laughs> what happened on the cross didn't just happen for Christians. That the cross was a universal event, not a Christian event. <laughs> Woo! The cross was a universal event. Have, look at verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he is going to gather together in one some things. A few things. All things are going to be gathered together in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. When I learned this, Ebony, it changed the way I looked at people. Because we now it's like we got to remove this idea, this, this, the religiosity that's associated with ministry. Because when I learned this, and I realized that when, when, if Christ died, not just for Christians, or he died for humanity, that doesn't matter where a person is right now in their life. It doesn't matter what, what faith they might be in. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what's, what sin they might be in. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they're in. When I meet a person, I see them as a person that Jesus Christ died for. Period. Which means I don't give special treatment to Christians and I give a different treatment to non-Christians. I can love a non-believer the same way I can love a believer. Right? So I look at people differently. And, I began to, and I, when I began to pray, now... I don't look, you know, sometimes we pray for people and we like try to assess where they are in their life. So we'd be like, well, are you saved? 
And like, well, no. Well, I don't know if I can't pray for you yet. Well, first, I got to pray for you to accept Jesus before I can pray for you. I'm going to show you how, what's wrong with that. We don't have to wait for a non-believer to accept Jesus before we can bless them. Why? Because Christ already died for them. So there's nothing higher that needs to happen. There's nothing more that needs to happen for them. So if it, since it already happened, if I meet a non-Christian who is in need and I can pray for them, I can bless them, it doesn't matter where they are in Christ yet. Notice I said yet. All I do is minister to them as if I minister to anyone else. And that's when I began to see, I would pray for people, and I would see people get blessed and get breakthrough before I led them to Christ, before I said a sinner's prayer with them. And I found that they were more they were easy to, to, to receive ministry. They were easier to receive ministry because they didn't have any religious obstacles in the way to let them know what maybe I don't deserve. See, some of you are sitting in here right now and can't get your breakthrough because you believe a lie that some preacher told you that because you're not living right enough, God won't bless you. When you've already been blessed in heavenly places in him. It has nothing to do with you. So you'll say, well, I, I won't come to church. You know, I don't want to come to church this week because I didn't live right. You know why? Because somebody made you believe that righteousness was based on your works. And, and that's what most Christians are hearing. Who made you right? With God. <laughs> and when did he do it? At the cross. <laughs> Once and for all. So is there something that you have to do to get blessed? Come on. Is there something you got to do to get blessed? Some of y'all don't believe it, so you're closed. Your mouth is closed. See, and if you don't understand, look at what that lady was doing to Shanique in the dream. She kept trying to interrogate her. You know, you're doing this. You're doing wrong. And if she, what, what the Bible, I mean, what the Bible, what Shanique said in the vision was that it wasn't until Shanique put her hand on her mouth to shut her up and began to speak in tongues. Then that demon started manifesting. You know what? The one thing I hate more than sin is religion. I hate religion more than I hate sin. I hate sin. <laughs> but religion will keep people in sin. Grace frees you from it. That's why God has given us the wealth of his grace to live from. That we are never supposed to see ourselves as inferior, unworthy, undeserving, insignificant at any point in our lives. Even if you sin, even if you sinned last night, say, I'm the righteousness of God. 
You know why? Because your righteousness is filthy rags. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. That means you don't have to feel holy to be holy. You don't have to feel righteous to be righteous because it's not you. It's what Christ did for you. Now, when you're righteous, you have access to the blessings. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, Abraham, the father of faith, um, the Bible says that God called Abraham righteous because he believed God. That is the pattern of what New Testament faith looks like. You believe God for righteousness, and if you believe God for righteousness, you then also always qualify for everything God ever wants you to have. It's hard to believe that you're righteous when you don't feel like it. It's hard. <laughs> it is hard. But you know what puts people in a, in, a, in a state of depression and despair? When people say, I'm tired of God, I'm tired of church. What they're saying is, I'm tired of religion. Because there's no way if you're in him correctly that you'll ever get tired of him. No way. People that backslide, they didn't backslide from God. They backslid from religion. Because once you're in him, you can't get out of him. <laughs> most people, they never knew. They never knew where they were in him. They're, most Christians are still chasing after him. Like the song says, they don't know that they already are in him. I'm, I'm sure, and I'm telling you, you're going to go back and read Ephesians like, I didn't know all this was in here. Should I keep going? I got a few minutes. Somebody say level up. All right. Verse 11. <laughs> in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Write that down somewhere. I have an inheritance. Okay. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, what's an inheritance? What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that is handed down to you that you didn't work for. An inheritance is something you receive that you didn't have to pay for, you didn't have to work hard for, somebody else did the work for you. The Bible says that in him, in Christ, we have, an, we have obtained an inheritance. I want to show you something real cool. You want to know something about your Bible? An inheritance is something that's transferred over when somebody dies, right? And then so we know like there's a will. When someone dies and someone leaves a will, they pass, they, they set up a will, which is a contract in which it's stating the, the, the uh, stipulations of what is going to be handed down to you. What's interesting about the word, the word will is that if you look up what a, what a will is, a synonym for the word will is a testament. A testament is a will. Your Bible is split up into an, what, two sections called what? The Old Testament and the New Testament. So if a testament is a will, so you have the old will and the Old Testament, 
And then you have the new will in the New Testament. So when you read the New Testament, you understand the new covenant. You understand the new inheritance. You understand what you receive based off of what? Someone who died. Someone who died gave you. The Old Testament will was based off of animal sacrifices. <laughs> and it was based on what you did. The New Testament or the new will it was based off of what Jesus did and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, what's a better will to draw from? A will based on animal, dead animals? Or a will based off of the crucified and risen Christ, the Son of God? There's nothing wrong with reading the Old Testament. Just know that that was a shadow of things to come. We got the real thing in Christ. Woo! I said the Old Testament was a shadow. You have the substance in Christ. Now, most people are still praying and asking God for something else, something better. I want you to know that God's Christ is God's everything. That if Jesus is not enough, nothing will be enough. Because there's nothing else God has to do for you, God, God can do for you. Everything he's ever done and will ever do already happened in Jesus. The minute you say, oh, I see it now, and I'm going to I'm, I want to experience it, I want to receive it, then you begin to step into the fullness of what God already did. God's Christ is God's everything. Hallelujah. See, that's why you got to get it. You got to fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. You can fall in love with your Bible, but as you read the Bible, fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> fall in love with Christ, what he did for you. Some people fall in love with church. Fall in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. He's your redeemer. He's your savior. He is your deliverer. He is your blesser. Everything you need is in him. Don't try to go around him and say, oh, God, I know about Jesus, but I want you to deal with me. No. He's gonna, he dealt with you by dealing with Jesus. The reason why you don't have to die or you don't have to pay for your sins is because Jesus already died and paid for your sins. I wanted to get somewhere. I'm not going to have time to get all the way there. But look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. All right. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, say, I believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I got a translation that I read that a lot of people don't know about. It's called the mirror translation. So if you guys want to look into it, you can find it in Amazon. It's called the mirror translation. And look what he says in, uh, in verse, verse 13. He says, now you Gentiles also have discovered yourselves to be equally included in him, having witnessed the unveiled logic of God. What exciting news. Your salvation is publicly announced. Consistent with the promise of God, the Holy Spirit gives guarantee to the fact of your faith, like the stamp of a signet ring that certifies a document. That you are in him. Isn't that awesome? Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is our tangible link to the inheritance that was ransomed and preserved for us. God's glorious plan for mankind is the theme of our celebration. Ah, oh, man. I'm going to jump to the two verses I wanted to get to, and I'm going to get back to this next week. Verse 15 through, through uh, 18. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17. Now, this is where I wanted to get to this whole time. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches or the wealth of the glory of his inheritance? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? In other words, until God gives you a spirit of wisdom and gives you a spirit of revelation, what I'm just saying is probably just going through one ear, going through the next. Because it takes God to reveal God. See, the reason why you want to come into his presence in worship and in prayer is so that God can begin to impart into you his very own spirit so that you can then have the understanding in order to know what it is that he's doing for you. See, until you have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the heart to understand, you won't know what God is doing. So you're going through life and you're struggling and you're going through what seems like warfare and you don't realize that God is actually just repositioning you and getting you to the place where he wants you to be so that he can release that inheritance and that blessing. You see a person in your life and it seems like they're getting on your nerves, but all they're actually doing is helping to shape you and form you to become more like Christ. <laughs> until you have the eyes to see what's wisdom wisdom the wisdom is most people define wisdom as um the app practical application of knowledge but i really believe that's really more of understanding because the bible talks about wisdom knowledge and understanding understanding is the application of knowledge wisdom is divine perspective Wisdom is seeing things God's way. 
the wisdom of God. Understanding is the ability to take knowledge and know how to use it. Wisdom is divine perspective. What's revelation? Revelation is divine information that authorizes you to have heavenly realities. I'll say that again. All right, you should write this down. Revelation is divine information that gives authorization to heavenly possibilities or heavenly realities. I'll say it again. Revelation is divine information that gives authorization to heavenly realities or heavenly possibilities. So everything we just talked about is locked up in this realm of revelation, that you need a revelation. Remember what we learned um, a few weeks ago, that Jesus builds his church on revelation knowledge? Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, and then I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Keys give you authorization. Keys give you access, which means that with, until you get revelation, you don't have authorization. Until God reveals something to you, you don't have access to that something. It's important. Paul said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, divine perspective, and revelation divine information that gives authorization to heavenly realities in the knowledge of him. That once we get wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, then the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. That we will know what is the hope of his calling. Woo. You catch that in your spirit? I'm speaking to your spirit now. <laughs> Say, God, breathe into me wisdom and revelation. That's why the Bible don't make sense to people. You got people with, 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 with master's degrees and doctorate degrees that can't read the Bible and understand it because it takes revelation to understand his word. And so as I close... What we want to begin to do is become a people that know how to receive the word and how to process the word so that the revelation won't just remain spiritual to us, but it becomes practical to us so that we can actually live and walk in heavenly realities. That God is looking for a people who are not going to be lazy in their spirit, but who are going to press in for the revelation of God. That what God is saying from heaven, what God is speaking from his throne, what God is revealing to you in your spirit, that you won't just be shallow in your thinking, but you're going to become deeper. You're going to get into the word. You're going to get into his face and say, Lord, I'm seeing vaguely something that you're saying. I'm hearing you speak something to me, but I don't have, I don't have it all together yet. Father, I'm, I want you to reveal it more. I want you to clarify it more. 
So many times people stop short of the breakthrough because the revelation didn't get a chance to break through their spirit and enter into their soul, their mind, their will, and their emotions. That the levels of the depths of God's word has to penetrate your soul. It's in your spirit already. Now it needs to enter your soul. See, you know, it's coming from the inside out because the kingdom is in you. Christ is in you. But what needs to happen is you got to learn how to settle your soul. And you got to learn how to become prostrate before God. You got to learn how to get quiet. You got to learn how to take off the TV. You got to learn how to stay in the book and just say, Lord, make this thing plain to me. Make this thing clear to me. Open the eyes of my understanding until I am enlightened, until the light bulb goes on, until I have an aha moment. Passes through. When revelation passes through, that embryonic state, and it becomes birthed in you. And revelation becomes your confession. See, that's why I always know where a person stands in their faith by their words. I listen to you speak. You listen to a person's words, you know exactly what their spiritual location is. You know if they're in faith or if they're in doubt. You know if they're in Christ or they're still in their flesh or in Adam. <laughs> Your words will always reveal who you are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, faith has the ability to change your life. I felt that for somebody. Faith has the ability to change your life. But faith, faith is living by revelation. So if you don't got no word, if you don't got no revelation, you can't have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. God has to speak to you and give you a word. Faith is now born. And what we call revelation is simply, it can be a, a prophetic word. It could be a rhema word. It can be a word from the scriptures. It can be a promise from God. But it's something that God has spoken to your heart. That you now say, God told me something. God showed me something. And I'm now pursuing it. Yeah. That's when a person starts walking by faith. How many of you know you can be sick and in faith? Because if God gives you a word about your healing and your body is still sick, but you got a word that God says, by, my, by his stripes I am healed. You can be sick and still in faith because you're pursuing what he says he can do for you. And if you never give up hope, if you never lose faith, that word that's being processed through your soul is going through your mind, is going through your heart, is going through your attitudes. And I'm saying, I'm starting to feel it. I don't see it yet, but I believe that something is about to happen for me. Then that word becomes alive in you. Man, if I had time, I'll show you the parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus said there's four levels that when a word is released... There's four different types of soil, four different types of grounds that that word may get to. And there's only one level where that word begins to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. He said the first word, when the word is released, that first level, somebody hears the word and it falls onto 
hard ground. And then the birds of the air come to devour it. That's a person who's, who has no, the Bible says it's, 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 it's a person who hears the word, nothing happens. Then it's another person who hears the word. And he says they hear it and immediately they get excited. They get excited about the word. They shout about it. They high five about it. But the Bible says they have no depths. That's why when people, I don't, I know people love to have the, you know, I love people's amens and stuff. I love your amens. But I want to make sure that word is getting deep in you. Sometimes when a word really hits you, you can't say nothing. <laughs> right? Some people try to shout or amen their way out of obedience. <laughs> Not in here, though. But they said that the word... <laughs> I love Sharita's amens, because I know she's getting it. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up right here. So the word gets, the Bible says that that second level of hearer, the word has no depth because they have no depths. Come on, you should pray for, to have depths in this season. I want to have capacity. I want to have depths. Sometimes I, 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 I stop when I was, when you get on internet, you get on Facebook, you get on these websites, and there's just so much information coming your way. It forces you to lack depth. You know why? Because you have so much information coming your way all the time that you don't really want to, you don't have time to really, really pay attention to anything too closely. You know, you read one feed, you go to the next feed, go to the next feed, and then you don't have any time to really let the word penetrate inside of your soul. How many of you know intelligence requires patience? It takes time to grow up in certain truths. That's why I, I'm, what I just preached, you guys got to make sure you go home and download this and listen to it again. Because it's just hitting the first level. I don't want the birds of the air to come and take it away. The third level here, the Bible says that the word comes, but then the thorns poke it. And then Jesus revealed what the thorns were. He said the thorns were the cares of this world. The cares of life. Distractions. Will, 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 will uh, cause the seed of the word. Now, the seed represents revelation, what God is trying to do in your life. God will not do anything in your life without a word. So you better get that in your spirit. God does nothing in your life without a word. If you want God to do something in your life, say, God, I need a word. Because without a word, God cannot prove himself to be faithful. And if God is not proving himself to be faithful, then you can't have faith. Faith is based on his word. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he's pleased when he gets to prove who he is to you. So he can't prove who he is if you don't have a word that you're waiting on him to prove in your life. The cares of this world cause many of you to just throw the word away. I'm tired of this, God. And some of y'all, have you ever got to that place? 
You're going through things and you're like, you close your Bible up. I don't want to hear nothing about God. I don't want to hear nothing about the scriptures. You throw the word away. Hallelujah. But then Jesus said, there's a, there's a, the fourth level is the person who hears the word, the Bible says, and he keeps it. That word keeps means he protects it. They protect it. They hold on to that word. They don't allow the cares of this life to shake them. Come on, we all go through stuff. But when you understand that what God is doing in your life, he's doing it with the word. And that I'm going to hold on no matter what I'm going through. All I know is that God gave me a word from God. Joseph was in prison. He was in pit. He was in a pit. Come on. But Joseph remembered the word that God gave him in a dream. And no matter what he went through, he held on to that word. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the word tried him. The word tested him to prove him. When you get a word, church, one of the things a word is going to do is test you. Not the people around you. And then the Bible says that when that word, if you keep it and you get depth with it and you meditate on it day and night and you allow that to become the thing that you sleep on, you pray on, you fast on, that word is starting to cultivate on the inside of you. And I love the fact that you never know when the word really takes root. You don't really know when it happens. All you know is that you go through something and all of a sudden, that scripture comes out of you. You go through something and all of a sudden, you declare what God said. Come on. How many of you are going through any chests or challenges right now? See, I remember. You got to become, become diligent. I'm going to close right here. I got my book right here. The Jesus Mind. And some of you, if you never bought it yet, I, I, I admonish you. <laughs> I admonish you to get it. I beseech you. <laughs> I wrote in here, and I'm going to close right here. I said in, in, the, in the book, I'm going to give this to somebody who's hungry. <laughs> if you don't have it. <laughs> I, in, this, in, this, in the book I have a section where I actually talked about how God how God began to teach me about how to get revelation from him and how it's actually an art form every true encounter with God leaves us in a state of wonder Jesus taught in parables to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven the disciples asked Jesus why did he speak in parables parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings it's illustrated as an analogy. Jesus responded to them saying, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Jesus basically told them that revelation is given and God selects whom he gives revelation to. As you read verse 15, you realize God only gives revelation to those who make the preparation for it. We set the parameters of revelation we can receive from God. Why? And this is not in the book. Because revelation, how can I say it? Your hunger protects you. Your hunger protects what God reveals to you. Because revelation requires responsibility. And hungry people will do everything that they can to protect what God reveals to them. If you pay a price for something, you're going to value it compared to if somebody else gets it for free. 
It's just human nature. And so what happens is God doesn't give you certain truths or certain insights because you're not hungry enough, because you're not, gonna, you're not going to value it if you don't pay a price for it. There's certain breakthroughs that God wants to give you, but he can't give it to you yet. Watch this. In my years of study and search for God, I noticed a connection between hunger and revelation. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Revelation is the treasure of heaven. Those who understand the value of treasure spend their time and life searching for it. You can only appreciate that which you work for. Revelation leads us into encounters with God. You cannot worship God without a revelation. If you desire to be a true worshiper, you, gotta, you, you must hunger for a true revelation. Because we go to God and worship not with an opinion of him, but with a revelation we received from him. Watch this. Revelation is the only way you grow in the knowledge of God. The Father wants us all to know him. Therefore, revelation is available for all of us. Knowledge alone doesn't create revelation, and religion is nowhere close to revelation. Hearing the word preached to you every Sunday does not guarantee revelation. Revelation is a spiritual mechanism. It is the work of the Holy Spirit within your spirit, and it's within your spirit man, which in turn leads to intellectual renewing, receives information originating in God's realm. Few people I know receive revelation without going after God for it. And then I, and I, and then I show you the, the, uh, the, the, the chain of revelation that... Um, you get information, which leads to revelation. Revelation leads to confession. Confession leads to activation, and activation leads to transformation. That a, the, a revelation that leaves you, a revelation when it has its full course in you, will transform your life. Okay? So revelation is not just information for you to post on Facebook. <laughs> you get that word? And you build some depths and let it, let it form inside of you. Amen. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.